All right, 32 past the hour on this uh, Tuesday. That'll include a Sweet 16-ish matchup tonight at downtown between uh, Connecticut and Creighton as we welcome in from the Omaha World-Herald, Sam McEwen. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, quick here. Let's start with the uh, news that came out yesterday about uh, Ashley uh, Scoggins' uh, lawsuit. What do you think happens next in this? Well, there, there's there's really only uh, you know a couple of uh, a couple of options. Um, you uh, you either begin the process of of going to to court uh, to to work with the lawsuit uh, and to you know begin to litigate, or there's a settlement. And I'm not saying that I have any insight on either yeah. one of those. Um, you know, I I saw the university's response yesterday. Initially, its response was like, "We don't comment." And then I think they understood maybe after reading the lawsuit, knowing a little bit more about what's alleged there, um, they uh, they strongly disagree. Or yeah. um, you know, so I think that's probably the you know that's probably the next steps of this process. Uh, I can't say that it's it was an unexpected um, you know lawsuit. I think we've heard rumblings of that uh, for you know more than just uh you know for a while uh, and so um the timing is now yeah you know uh ashley's still playing at unlv so hopefully she doesn't have to address any of this um uh while she's playing for the team but uh you know yeah we'll, we'll see what happens sam i'm sure amy's going to be asked questions about this especially with yeah, the, the whole timing of it and you know what she knew when she knew I, those are all obviously the questions how do you anticipate her kind of moving forward? Do you think there's a there's a statement? Do you think this is a it'll be addressed after the season type uh, situation? Because obviously this comes at an interesting time, uh, you know, in the college basketball season for everyone. Yeah, she the, when this came up back two years ago, she she didn't have any comment. Right. She won't have any comment now. Um, you know, she'll she'll just say, you know, I don't I don't have any comment that on. I can't comment on it. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's there's just not much for her to say. Um, you know, the player, you know, Ashley could say something. I mean, she's the one who filed the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. So, um, or, you know, someone did that on her behalf. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't anticipate the, the, you know, the, the, the accused in the lawsuit saying anything. Yeah. The timing is what it is. Um, you know, it's now, as opposed to two months from now, uh, you know, we'll 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 see if that has any effect on on the team. That's that's not the most important thing if it does, but um, we'll see where it goes. Sam McCune of the World Herald joining us. Let's just shift the football. So, uh, our our friend, your uh, your work partner, uh, Tom Chattel, sat down with Matt Rule. A lot of good stuff. Yeah, think, great I, stuff. I think I think uh, Coach Rule thinks big picture. Um, I think he also loves the sport and he cares for the sport. He they got into scheduling, and as much as I would. I really want the Tennessee series to happen. I thought that was a great opportunity for Tennessee to come here, for Nebraska to go down to Knoxville, and that thing gets keep pushed back and back and back, and now I don't think it'll ever happen. But as I, as I, as I read Tom's column today about scheduling and rules philosophy, and he talks about you know Nebraska not hurting Nebraska, what do you think moving forward will be the ideal schedule for Big Ten teams? To make it, as he said, a level playing field. That's a great question. I think rule leaves open the possibility that there is a, um, if not a negotiated, 
an agreed upon framework that says nine conference games, one power conference game, uh, one FCS for everybody. That was sort of Jim Delaney's original vision. The challenge with that is that the SEC um, and uh, the Big 12 and the ACC have to sign on to that. Um, you know, so I, I don't know if if they're going to do that. Obviously, short of doing that, short of there being sort of an agreement that that's what everybody's going to yeah. do, I could see Nebraska moving moving in the direction of uh, two group of five, one premium FCS opponent. If you play a Missouri Valley or a Big Sky team, you're playing a premium FCS opponent almost always. Um, there are bad FCS teams that you can play. Uh, the SEC often plays them, and they often play them in November when those mm-hmm. FCS teams are beat up. And they have no chance of, of or very little chance of beating beating a team. But, you know, if Nebraska wants to play a premium FCS, that means South Dakota, South Dakota State, North Dakota, UNI. Uh, every team in the Missouri Valley is pretty good. Every Almost every team in the Big Sky is pretty good. You really can't get away from a quality football program. So you could say we're playing a premium FCS, two group of five, uh-huh. and um, and uh, so here's a workaround. Uh-huh. Here's a workaround. Yeah. The Mountain West. If you choose the Mountain West and you say we are going one of our one of our opponents every single year is going to be from one of the two leagues that gets into the playoff, which is either going to be the AAC mm-hmm. or the Mountain West. It's the Sun Belt. I just don't see it happening, but we'll see. If you said, hey, we're gonna play in, we're gonna play the league that makes the playoff every year or every other year. And that's a reasonable substitute. You go, you go talk to Wyoming. You go talk to Boise State. You know, there's there's teams in that league that you can play that maybe aren't uh, Tennessee uh, that that are worthwhile playing, and you might be able to get better. You know, two for one deals, things like that. Um, so there may be an option there too. And okay, so and with that, so he talks about you know the addition of USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. We know what the SEC now looks like too. And I heard Gary's reaction right there of the idea of that. And I think everybody, I think there's a lot of people that still look at non-conference games where you're playing group of fives and maybe a high-level FCS, that there's, there's still going to be that, that type of reaction. Does the committee, does, does the, the eyeballs, does it shift a little bit in being more accepting to what you do in non-conference, not at the level of what maybe you used to where you would get Power Five uh, teams involved, where now looking at the shift and, and how those conferences have changed, that it's, dare I say, even more acceptable with your non-conference to go that route because of what the conferences look like now? Well, we'll see. I mean, I think, I think there's going to be uh, a conversation starting this year of, like, who are the 10 and the 11 and the 12 and what kind of schedule do they play? There's that. Mm-hmm. And let's see if, hey, they played this extra game that was hard is part of the conversation. Next question. What do you do with Iowa? Is, is Iowa going to really stop playing Iowa State? Is Georgia really going to stop playing Georgia Tech? Yeah. Is Florida really going to stop playing Florida State? Uh, is South Carolina really going to stop playing Clemson? If the answer is no, then I don't really know why anybody has to say, well, let's just not do it anymore. Nebraska can make its own choices. And I think what Nebraska has seen, and this would be accurate, I, Matt Rule, I wasn't in on that interview, but I would have pointed this out to him. Michigan, the last two years, has mm-hmm. played a joke mm-hmm. of a non-conference yep. schedule, and it didn't hurt them at all. Nope. So what yeah. difference is it making? They played them all at home. 
You know, so like they didn't have any. I mean, the, the, the committee didn't do anything to them. Um, now, we'll see. Maybe there's maybe things will now change because there's 12 teams. You don't have to emphasize not losing as much. And so maybe you can reward a team for, for playing a really hard schedule. Nevertheless, the system is comprised of humans. And I'm sure if you ask Tom this, Tom, Tom's really thoughtful about the NCAA tournament committee, where he's like, look, at the end of the day, they got the metrics, they got this. But it's a, it's a it's a it's a person's opinion, and I think the college football playoff committee is the same way. Like at the end of the day, it's just well, this team has no losses; they must be good. Like mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's you know, I mean, there were it's just silly. It's, it's you know, so there's there's all of these, you know, the way that the whole thing with Alabama jumping way up and Texas having to go with them because Texas beat Alabama. Now look, Texas beat Alabama. And Texas is not in the college football playoff. It doesn't play Alabama. It is not in the college football playoff if it doesn't play Alabama. So I think Matt Rule can spitball in a lot of different directions, and he wants to do what's best for Nebraska. And I think, you know, there's a couple games on that schedule where, especially where you're playing teams over and over again. I don't know that they needed a second two-game series with Colorado or Oklahoma, but they got them. Mm -hmm. Um you know what I thought of when I read Tom's thing, and you know when he sent it in yesterday to our email. Um, I thought of Scott Frost in 2021. You know, um, wanting to get out of that Oklahoma game because yeah. he knew how hard the schedule was, and I thought to myself, his principle wasn't wrong. His timing was because it was the 50th anniversary of the game of the century, mm-hmm. and if it hadn't been, he probably would have had a better argument. So, how much do you think? I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and and like. I could see moving forward, Nebraska's type of non-con this year is ideal in the Matt Rule world. UTEP, Colorado at Northern Iowa. Cincinnati, Akron, Houston, Christian the following year. Ohio, Tennessee, North Dakota. Those kind of schedules, or in 28 if we get there, UTEP, South Dakota State, Arizona. But how much do you think the Big Ten's TV partners have a say in what schedules look like moving forward? that are not involving the nine conference games? That's a great point. Um, yeah, so the big, the big uh, the Fox, NBC, and CBS control uh, the inventory for the Big Ten, and um, they're not going to be able to, you know, only Fox has some of the Big 12 games. So, good point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the likelihood of, of um, SEC Big Ten matchups is pretty low. I, I just don't see it happening very often um, once once these TV contracts kick into place. I think the Big Ten likes this arrangement quite a bit. I thought it went pretty well last year, uh, and I'm sure the SEC likes theirs. I, I mean, the Big Ten ACC challenge went away. Uh, it disappeared. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see exactly what happens, and we'll see if ESPN is willing to sell off some of its football games from the CFP contract. I mean, yep. kudos to ESPN for securing that. Um, I, I'm surprised that the C, the CFP would, would sign exclusively with ESPN, but you know, that's, that's, uh, maybe I'm not surprised. I, I, I think ESPN handled the CFP pretty well, but simultaneously, you know, um, I think the CFP has been very cozy with one of the leagues and, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see if that trend continues. Sam, uh, speaking of Matt Rule, and he he was talking, I heard this on 
the podcast with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel, but he's he's mentioned it in local settings as well about the stigma around the program when you lose close games and how it feels like, oh, it's another close loss. And, you know, he talks about how he wasn't here, you know, the previous year, so he doesn't look at it. Maybe he has a sort of a different lens. It, it made me think about this year. There, it's it, Obviously, the second year is important for so many reasons. But is this the, kind of that sort of litmus test of if it truly is not really in the program, you know, that, that kind of stigma, that kind of, okay, here we go again, that close, you know, in a close game where you lose close you have those close losses that all of a sudden they're able to overcome that with the roster that they have. Is this year two kind of give you an idea of if they really are, you know, kind of past that and especially the way that Matt rules sort of preparing him for that. Sure. I I, I'm with him when I, when he says, you know, we can't, we can't assume this is just in our DNA and, and, you know, some of these games can be won. I, I totally, totally understand what he's saying. Um, They lost three games last year the exact same way and mm-hmm. um minnesota and maryland and iowa they lost all three games i think they might have lost them all by the same score where they have the ball they have a chance to go win the game they throw an interception the other team goes back down the other field kicks the game winning field goal this happened three times and the 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 uh, common denominator in all three of those uh was interception and having a chance to win and not managing the final possession of the game to get it to overtime, mismanaging it, (laughs) you know? Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, I don't, I mean, that was to some degree the story in the Scott Frost era, but it really wasn't. Um, this was very specific and unique to last year's team. And that's something they're going to have to fix. And, And, and two, two of those interceptions, the one against Maryland and the one against Iowa were unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable interceptions that should not passes that shouldn't have been thrown. Mm-hmm. All kinds of things. Um, the one against Minnesota was what it was, but you know, so I, I, they have to fix that. And and I, I understand what he's saying. Um, simultaneously, you know, the team last year that went five and seven was five and seven because of those three games. Uh, two were at home, one was on the road. Uh, the other games, I think you can look at and say, "Yeah, this is." I mean, they they didn't deserve to beat Colorado, they didn't deserve to beat Michigan. So you throw those two out, yeah. And then the other ones, they played maybe their best game of the year at Wisconsin. They're close to it. I mean, they played really well against a team that I think was pretty good and was also healthy, reasonably healthy. And so you you throw that one out too because I think I don't think they have anything to be ashamed of at Wisconsin. I thought they played good football that day. Um, the other three, though. All you got to do is find a way to win one of them, and then you got to find a way to win at Michigan State, and mm-hmm. so those are things they can fix. And and it's, it was related to quarterback play. And even though the quarterback play wasn't great in the Scott Frost era, and Adrian Martinez made mistakes and et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. I don't think it was I don't think it was as bad as what we saw last year. So they've got to fix that, and that's that's not on you know the 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 looming history of the program. That's that's on you know, coach rule. And, and I think he knows that he knows it. And, and I think they're going to go about fixing that, but that is the thing that needs to be fixed. That was a seven and five defense last year, eight and four defense that played, you know, two and 10 quarterback football. Hey, so, I, you know, just kind of, this is my observation. I brought this up on the show yesterday, you know, and I mean, weird stat among the many that are about Nebraska football of late for the last five coaches here, They've had a losing record in their first year. The only one that didn't, that was Bo, and he won nine games. And you know what it's like when you're here and you don't win in your first year? Things get ratcheted up. And some guys Mm -hmm. have been able to handle it better than others. 
But why do you think that Matt Rule of these coaches that have come from in, in front of him, or before him, I should say, and I'm, I'm going all the way back to Solich. Yeah. Rule seems more comfortable at Nebraska than basically all of the coaches before him since T.O. Why? Uh, a couple reasons. I think, one, um, he's kind of been in these situations before as as a head coach, so he's, he's had difficult first seasons in his previous three jobs, uh, the Panthers and Baylor and Temple, and so I think he's used to it. So there's there's one reason, I think. I think another reason is just because of, of who his boss is and I think feeling the comfort of that person's support and also understand, you know, I think Trev Alberts has a holistic big picture understanding of how certain things work. So I think that's notable. Yeah. I think part of it's just his personality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I, I, he does seem more comfortable and there's probably more time. And, and the other thing is, I think he has a more rigorous process than a couple of those guys did. Not all of them. I mean, Bill Callahan had a rigorous process. Um, and he figured it out to some degree in year two. Uh, but, you know, I think I think Rule just has a little bit different process. And, and I think he feels comfortable with it after, after having applied it for the last you know, 13 years. Yeah, I There's another thing, and we've all talked about this. How much do you think it helps Nebraska with Matt Rule that they hired a coach off of failure. Um, essentially, Callahan had been fired, needed a job. Riley was like, "Oh, Nebraska's interested," but everybody, <laughs> but everybody else that has come here, their year before, they had had a really, really good year to get this job. Yes, I mean, I think Matt Rule is a motivated guy. I think, I think what has subsequently happened in Carolina sort of reveals what he was dealing with there. So I, I suspect he actually feels somewhat vindicated, mm-hmm. although that wouldn't be the word he'd use to describe yeah. what happened to Frank Reich. But I think he probably feels that um, because obviously the problem's not him. Um, so, you know, yeah, I think there's some of that there. And, and, and the other thing I think is that it's just Nebraska's. I think every coach has a little bit of an ego and I think Matt Rule understands, you know, four or five previous coaches have not been able to get this thing done. And here it is, left to me, the person who knows how to do this thing. He knows how to rebuild programs. That's a skill that he has. So he knows how to do it, and here is an opportunity that's been presented to him, and I think he, he's actually excited to tackle it. Like, if he's able to bring this thing back over the course of five years, he's done something that a lot of other people haven't done. And I yeah. think that would be quite an accomplishment, and I think he'd be proud of it. Yeah, yeah I agree. Sam, as always, we appreciate it. Enjoy your uh, time off the rest of the week. All right, take care, guys. That's uh, Sam McEwen of the uh, Omaha World Herald. <sighs> Scheduling. <laughs> Why are we making the sport worse? It, it, the way I look at it is you're looking for a reason, not you. The coaches are looking for a reason to justify going easier on the non-conference. And I feel like now you have your ammo, whether you whether people like it or not, is the overall strength of the schedule, especially when you're in the Big Ten and the SEC, that the overall strength of schedule within your conference games are going to provide a lot more of that sizzle that you're going to get week in and week out. So maybe now it's more acceptable to have an FCS team in there that it's going to be more understandable. But but Sam's right. I mean, the, the first real understanding of if it flies or not is how this first go-around of 12 teams looks. But 
I also think there's going to be a little bit more peer pressure on scheduling. I think more so now than before because, well, not just because you're starting to see the Big Ten and the SEC start to, and not necessarily align, but maybe collaborate a little bit. But I think based on what teams are doing in your conference, I just get the feeling that you're going to keep it more consistent and universal. So if a couple of high-powered schools like an Ohio State, uh, like a Michigan, say, hey, you know what? We're going to go no power five, power four, sorry. We're going to go no power four, all group of fives, and even a, you know an FCS. I could see that being at least positioned to, hey, we in- can't make you do it, but we encourage all, you, all of our, the rest of our membership to do that because we want to be consistent with how it looks. So you can't pick apart one team's resume knowing that you stand to have multiple teams in your conference year in and year out in the college football playoff. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see if that does become more peer pressure because before that, I, I think it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a school decision. You maybe got some encouragement from the commissioners before, but it was always a school decision. Now, as things have changed and the conferences stand to get multiple teams in, I could see there being a lot more strongly consider what we're saying as opposed to, eh, do what you want. I mean, if it were me, I would do this. Now I think it's like, eh, you know what? You should, we should probably go about scheduling this way. Right. Um, 7.53. I wonder if fans would take a 10th conference game over Northern Iowa. I would. Northwestern's on the schedule over <laughs> Northern Iowa. Fans would. I would, yeah. With the head coach. Yeah. Uh, a little bit later, Brian Christopherson stops by Andy Kendi as well. Mornings with Sharp and Hanley at 16.20 The Zone.